Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the NFL draft is officially in the review mirror as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 136. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk about the 2018 NFL draft, what picks stood out to him, how the Eagles performed with their five selections, and we will take a look around the rest of the NFC East as well. After that, we will transition to scouting report where I go through my notes on one of the Eagles first two fourth round selections defensive end Josh Sweat but before we get into all that let's not waste any more time I caught up with Greg Cosell shortly after the conclusion of the 2018 NFL draft let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk let's get down to business it's time for Chalk Talk Very happy to be joined once again by NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. And, you know, we did, we couldn't do this podcast, Greg, like we usually do live during day three. It was a little bit of a, a crazy day for us on Saturday here at the NovaCare Complex with everything going on. But uh, a lot of fun to really just kind of look at the draft from a big picture view with you and really kind of take everything in. And, you know, first I want to start off with the Eagles' first selection, second-round pick, Dallas Goddard, uh, and just get your overall thoughts for those of you guys on the outside that haven't listened to Greg and I's film breakdown of Dallas and what he can bring to the Eagles. Give us your overall worldview on how you see Dallas Goddard uh, and how he projects to the NFL. Well, I like Dallas Goddard, and and it's interesting because I think his last year, the 2017 season, he was not quite as good as he was in 2016 at South Dakota State, and I I understand he had some nagging injuries, but I think first and foremost, he's first of all, he's big, and I think he can actually get bigger. Look, you and I had the opportunity to meet him when he came through on Saturday at the Novacare Center, and when you look at the body type, he almost looked thin. And and I'm sure in the Eagles' weight room, he can probably put on some weight and some muscle without really losing any of his movement. Um, but he's a really good-sized kid, and he catches the ball exceptionally well. To me, that was the one thing that so stood out watching his tape, is that he caught everything, and he made difficult catches. He caught it away from his frame. He had good body control. And that may be overlooked at times, Fran, when people talk about receivers, uh, and, and essentially with tight ends now, you start with their receiving ability, not with their blocking ability. But he really has outstanding hands. No question about it. That was the one trait that really stood out to me too. Is you know when I watched him uh, back over the summer, and then obviously his senior film as well. Uh, you could absolutely see his consistency at the catch point and some great outstanding. You know even the the, the crazy one handed catches uh, were obviously very impressive as well. Um, let, let's talk too about you know just big picture in terms of you know Doug Peterson's scheme and what he looks to do offensively. You know a lot of people will say, oh well, you know why would the Eagles draft a backup tight end? They've got Zach Ertz. He's a Pro Bowl player already at that position but we know you and I know the importance of 12 personnel to the Eagles and their and their scheme and not just 12 personnel but 13 personnel so while they do have Richard Rodgers already here even though it's a one-year deal adding a player like Dallas Goddard gives you that dimension the ability to go with 12 personnel and to just talk about you know how important that is to what Doug Peterson wants to do and what that brings to the table. 
Well, I think that's a critical piece, as we've seen in in Doug's first two years as the Eagles head coach, the importance of lining up with two tight ends. It's a critical piece of their offensive weaponry, and not only two tight ends, but as you mentioned, Richard Rodgers is there. They line up with three tight ends. Um, Goddard has a chance, I think, not just to be that second tight end, but I think down the road he has a chance to be a a so-called number one tight end. Now, we know Zach Ertz is here, and we know that Zach Ertz has developed into a really, really good tight end in this league. Uh, but I think Goddard, with his size, uh, and, and he could probably get to 265, 270 based on just seeing him in person and, and not look a whole lot different, uh, you know, he has a chance when you start getting up to that weight with his kind of movement. Um, and I wouldn't say it's elite movement, but it's good movement. Uh, you know, he has a chance to be and I hate to use words like this, Fran, you know, special, but I mean, that size and his his catching ability and his catching radius and the ability to make tough catches, uh, there's a lot there with this kid, but, but the 12 personnel is absolutely critical to what the Eagles do on offense. I think it's just, it's such an interesting way to look at the game because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, you, you need one guy who can catch and one guy who can block, and it's good to have guys that can do both. The guys that can do both are hard to find. To me, it's not necessarily, you know, finding the guy that, you know, is a great blocker and a great receiver. To me, it's all about, and you know, you know how this goes and how coaches try to game plan, right? I mean, coaches, when they game plan uh, and they look at tendencies and what teams do out of certain personnel packages, as long as when both Dallas Goddard and when Zach Ertz are both on the field at the same time, if the Eagles show that they are willing to run the ball from those looks, now you're going to keep defenses guessing. You're going to keep them on their toes, and that's where you can really kind of expand things as a play caller and give Doug Peterson that versatility to really be able to call whatever he wants, and that's where you can find those mismatches that you want. That's where you can try and create other things for other players across the field as well. I think it's going to be really fun to see how this offense develops with both of these guys, especially once Dallas Goddard really hits his stride. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, I think this – there's this whole sense of predictability, and, and I'm not necessarily a big believer in that because I think most defensive coaches from film study know what offenses do in terms of their their concepts and their play calls. But So to me, that's not a big deal. But we know how important 12 personnel is. We know that Zach Ertz can line up, detach from the formation, and be very good. Uh, I'm not sure Goddard's ready to do that in the NFL right now, but he may not need to. Um, but again, we know that that Doug Peterson is is very expansive and multiple in his thought process. And you saw what he did in the last part of the season when Carson Wentz was hurt and what he did with Nick Foles. So there's a lot here when you mix a coach in Doug Peterson and the personnel that they now have. It was absolutely critical for them that they have the players they want to line up in their two and three tight end uh, looks. So, Greg, let's get now to day three, and that's where you and I we really got to spend a lot of time together and watch this whole draft unfold. And, you know, the Eagles' first pick on the third day was Pitt cornerback Avante Maddox. And you and I on Saturday got a chance to, to watch a good amount of film of Avante Maddox. What were your initial takeaways uh, watching all the reps that we did from his East-West practice, seeing what we, he has done at Pitt? Uh, obviously a little bit on the, uh, the smaller side at cornerback, but uh, what do you see when you watch Avante Maddox? 
Um, well, I think when all said and done with Maddox, because he's smaller, uh, he's 5'9", he's about 185 pounds, he has really good athletic measurables, and he has very good natural quickness, and, and to use the word a lot of people like to use, including you and I, he's got twitch to him, he's got some suddenness to his movement. We know that the Eagles lost Patrick Robinson. We know probably that given Jalen Mills' development on the outside, that they probably would like to keep him there. So I think when they drafted Maddox, they were probably thinking, given his size, his movement, uh, that he'll compete at the slot corner position. Now, he played outside at Pitt, predominantly to the boundary, the short side of the field. Uh, but given that he played to the short side of the field, there were a couple of things that really stood out. He was an excellent blitzer, and that is a trait that's required when you play in the slot. So, uh, you know, I think that that's w- where they see him. I-, I know they've spoken about the fact that he'll get reps both outside and in the slot, but I think ultimately given his size and weight, because he's not a, you know, he's a thin-framed kid, that the slot is ultimately where he would end up, and that's where he'll probably get most of his reps as the offseason progresses. Greg, you watch film all around the NFL throughout the course of the year, obviously, especially during the season. When you're looking at the slot cornerback position, everybody kind of you know uses that that term as a kind of like an umbrella term. Obviously, those kind of players come in all shapes and sizes. We see the, the you know regular nickel, we see the big nickel, we see lots of different skill sets in there. When you look at overall in terms of how the cornerback position is played on the inside, what are some of the traits you feel are most important uh, in terms of having success long-term in that role? Well, as you and I have discussed, Fran, it's, it's a defined position in the NFL with specific traits now that are required. So let's start with the coverage portion of it. You have to be able to play man-to-man versus receivers that have a two-way go. In other words, they can go inside or outside because you're removed from the sideline, so you can't squeeze someone to the sideline with the sideline as your friend. So you have to be able to play man-to-man with receivers versus receivers who have a two-way go. Secondly, the, the second coverage part is you have to be able to play underneath zone coverage. You're not playing on the outside now as a zone corner. You're playing underneath zone coverage closer to the middle of the field, which gives you more responsibilities. So those are the two coverage elements. Then playing in the slot, you have to be able to blitz. That's a significant part. Most teams have blitz packages. All teams have blitz packages where the slot corner is part of it. So you have to be able to blitz. Uh, And the third thing, which has become even more and more critical in this league now, given how much 11 personnel, meaning three wide receivers, are on the field in normal down and distance situations, is you have to be able to play the run. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a thumper, but you have to be able to stick your nose in. You have to be able to play where there's a lot of people and make tackles. Now, like I said, you don't have to lay people out, but you've got to be able to play and make tackles versus the run game. Yeah, I think you and I, from what we've seen from Avante Max, we certainly have seen a lot of those traits. You know, he's a competitive kid. We certainly see the athletic ability and the twitch, like you said, uh, to be able to match up on the inside. And you look at the slot receivers in the Eagles division. You have Cole Beasley, now Tavon Austin in Dallas. You got Jamison Crowder, Sterling Shepard, uh, some of the best teams in the league, uh, in, in the NFC especially. You start to see some of those slot receivers, guys that can win on those matchups one on one in the middle of the field. You hope that Avante Maddox has that skill set. So let's transition now to the to the second fourth round pick and a player that you and I were very excited about in terms of where the Eagles got him. And it's just great value with an exciting prospect like Josh Sweat, the pass rusher from Florida State. Uh, give us the, the quick elevator speech. What is it that intrigues you most about Josh Sweat? 
Well, I was fascinated uh, when I watched him, and I watched a number of games of Florida State because they had a bunch of players. So I probably saw six or seven games in their entirety. And he was so interesting because he had a major knee injury that he still was working back from this past year. And there were numerous snaps in which he looked as if he was dragging that bad leg. But then at the same time, you could see the explosive traits in his game, and you could see the ability to rush the quarterback from multiple positions. You know, he, sometimes he would line up wide. Sometimes he would line up inside the tight end. Sometimes he would line up over an offensive tackle, you know, without giving all the specific names of these alignments, just trying to make the, the visual point for people. Um, so he lined up in multiple spots, uh, and he lined up, which was very interesting. Obviously, they teach this at Florida State, which I don't think he'll do with the Eagles. He lined up with both hands on the ground in a four-point stance. And to me, maybe I'm wrong, maybe coaches would say otherwise, I think that kind of limits your explosiveness a little in getting off the ball, but he still showed an awful lot lining up in a four-point stance. And what I think blew people away, and it blew me away, given that I'd watched so much tape, was his athletic explosion measurables at the Combine were off the charts. And so this kid, there's a lot there to his game. And given where the Eagles got him, and you know the old adage, particularly when you're a predominant four-man rush team, as the Eagles have been under Jim Schwartz, you never have enough pass rushers. I think what's most impressive just watching Josh Sweat is just, uh, obviously you mentioned that the physical tools are there. I mean, the size, the burst, the first step. He obviously was not asked to do that. Like you mentioned, uh, playing in Charles Kelly's scheme, uh, played a lot over the tackle. He played as a four eyes, a five technique, a lot of reps on the inside. Uh, they kind of you know pulled the leash tight on him in terms of what he was allowed to do in attacking upfield. But I think, too, you see so much unrefinement there because obviously he doesn't have a lot of reps being asked to do it. You see him try and win at the top of the arc. He shows flashes of it, but it's not consistent. So to me, like the upside, the potential, his best football absolutely could be ahead of him. I'm really excited about the pick. Yeah, and we showed a play on Eagles.com when we were uh, together Saturday uh, where we saw the great swipe with his hands, you know, the one-hand swipe. He has a two-hand swipe. I mean, and, and again, he'll be taught a lot of this as well when he gets uh, here in Philadelphia, but there's a lot to work with with this kid. And, and as you and I discussed, I mean, he was the number one defensive end prospect when he came out of high school in Virginia, the number one prospect in the country. So this kid is a very, very talented kid, and my guess is if he was not not injured if there was no injury at all he would have been he, he might have been a late first round pick yeah I think a lot of people kind of viewed that as a possibility I know on our journey to the draft podcast um, we had uh, Paul Kuharski on from Tennessee and, and Paul said that uh, yeah he could be a target for the Tennessee Titans in the first round 25 overall so for us to get him uh, in the fourth round I think it's got a lot of people excited let me tell you, ask you about these two picks because I think you know there's some similarities, right? In terms of you know both guys were extremely productive in terms of uh, how they uh, in, uh, in terms of their athletic scores at the combine. You know they were outstanding athletes uh, at the college level. With both players, there's a little bit of projection, right? You know, you're, it's a little bit of a different scheme for Josh Sweat. You're probably transitioning uh, Avante Maddox into the slot, so there's a little bit of projection with both. But I think with with both also, the, in terms of trying to narrow down the difference, big picture, 
Josh Sweat, you look at as a player that maybe he's not. You don't have like a defined role right away, but you're betting on a, on high upside. I mean, the upside with Josh Sweat is that he could be a, a quality starting pass rusher. And then you look at Avante Maddox, and you have a very defined role. You can look at him and say, "Yeah, you know, this is this is our plan for Avante Maddox. At the very least, you have a fourth or fifth corner with the upside of being a really strong third, you know, a, a slot cornerback." How do you look? What's your overall view when you look at the third day of the draft? And every team is going to treat this a little bit differently in terms of their overall worldview. Do you look at it as, you know what, we need to find guys. We, we don't draft because this is one you know, axiom you hear often with the draft. We don't draft guys unless we view them as, as future starters. You, know, you only want to draft a guy if you feel like he can be an impact player down the road with refinement, and that's, that's who you draft. We'll find guys that we feel could be backups uh, in undrafted free agency. Or... Do you feel like, you know, I, I like to go towards the safer route. Let's find guys that can fit defined roles for our team. You know, you look back to a guy like a Mac Hollins last year. You knew right away Mac Hollins was going to be active every single game because he was a good blocker, he was a solid, play, a solid receiver, and he was an outstanding special teamer, and he's got some starting upside. How, how do you view it overall in terms of it, how, your personal preference on the third day of the draft? I think different teams, Fran, have different philosophies. Very often the way it works, unless you're drafting a guy for an absolute specific role, in other words, a guy who may be on defense, you know he can play 15 snaps a game in one specific role and be very good, but that's all he can do. So unless you're doing that, I think very often what you get on, on, on the final day of the draft is you either get guys who have really good traits or really good measurables but don't have the college production or you get guys that have excellent college production but their athletic measurables or their traits are in your mind maybe not NFL worthy but you can't turn away from the fact that the production has been great Um, you know I think someone like Josh Schwett Sweat is a great example of this because there's no question about the fact that when healthy, uh, and he hasn't been for a number of years, but that this kid was a really talented kid. So you look at a kid who's got great traits, great physical athletic traits, and his measurables were phenomenal, the tape is a little uneven and erratic because of the injury. So you're hoping that a year or two down the road, as he gets better and better in terms of his physical, you know, his knee, that all of a sudden those traits really can show up snap after snap. And, you know, when you when you draft something like that, look what happened. Was it two years ago that the Eagles signed Vinnie Curry to a big contract? Or was it two or three years ago? Yeah, that was uh, two years ago, two off-seasons ago. There you go. So now Vinnie Curry is signed to a big contract, you know, regardless of whether people thought they paid him too much or not, that's irrelevant. At the time, the Eagles felt that he would be a significant part of their future going forward. He was a young player. They thought he could be a really good pass rusher, a guy who could rush inside and outside, and then two years later he's gone. So the point is there are certain positions, too, that when you look to the draft that you always feel like you never have enough of. And I think, you know, in the case of a sweat, for instance, even a Maddox, those are two positions, pass rusher and corner, that I think just about everybody would say you never have enough players at those two positions. And, and you know, things change rapidly in the NFL. And, and you know, if you have a chance to, to draft a player at premium-type positions, corner, pass rusher, then I think you're looking at, at those positions and you're looking at those players. And then one position I think you could probably throw into that mix is probably offensive line as well, where you look at uh, Matthew Pryor, a sixth-round pick, and then uh, a guy that neither of us have watched tape on at all, 
because there is no tape, and that's jo- Jordan Mailata, uh, the the offensive lineman, the ter- former rugby player from Australia. Um, initial reactions on the on the thought of two just large human beings being added into the mix here, two guys that I think we're both excited to see uh, this summer in training camp and in the preseason as well to see how they how they can develop and mesh into this offensive line that now gets another injection of youth. Well, it's, it's, it's the old thing that if you have a young franchise quarterback, and then the Eagles do, arguably, uh, assuming that Carson Wentz can come back healthy, you could be dealing with the best quarterback in the league for a number of years. You have to make sure that he's protected. So again, in that kind of situation, you always want to make sure that you're not lacking for offensive linemen. Now, we have no idea, because obviously when you're drafting in uh, the sixth and seventh round, you know, they're sixth and seventh round draft choices for a reason. Uh, the Australian, you know, we don't even know anything about him in football, although uh, the rugby footage was just absurd. The guy looked like a running back. Um, but anyway, the point is is that you never have enough offensive linemen when you have a, a star quarterback and a franchise quarterback. So even if just one of them makes it, that's fine because, you know, you get into those later rounds – you never know. I mean, and, and teams can say what they want, but you're drafting players that there's something about them you like, but obviously they're, they're late-round picks for a reason. But I think the position is the key here. It's offensive line, and that is an absolutely critical position. Look, uh, we've all loved Jason Peters. I can't believe he's going to play another year after this year. So at some point, they need offensive linemen. Greg, let's quickly look around the NFC East and just kind of do a quick buzz through of these three teams and how they did this weekend. Uh, let's start with the New York Giants, a team that uh, you know has gotten a lot of fan feathers. There's been a lot of talk about the Giants draft, you know, from both a positive standpoint but also a negative standpoint. It started at the top. Uh, Saquon Barkley is second overall. No one is going to question that Saquon Barkley is a great player. Well, almost no one. There are some out there that don't think he's a great player. But uh, no one will argue, at least in this conversation, that he's not a great player. Um, Some will question the value. And then you get into later in the draft, you go Will Hernandez, the powerful guard uh, in the second round. Lorenzo Carter, a high upside pass rusher who should fit with uh, with James Betcher very well uh, in the third round. B.J. Hill, a defensive tackle from NC State in the third round. Kyle Lalletta, developmental backup quarterback. R.J. McIntosh, an explosive three technique. When you look at this draft overall, anything that stands out to you from the New York Giants? Well, I think it speaks to what they want to be. Uh, Barkley and Hernandez, I think, are, uh, are the two key players, although I think Carter fits what Betcher, James Betcher does really well, and we'll see how that plays out. But I think it speaks to what they want to be. They know what Eli Manning is at this point. He's a complimentary piece. He's not a lead quarterback. So they want to run the ball, and they want to run it with power, and they want to be a physical team. Uh, so that's I think why they made the first two picks, we can debate what Barkley is. His tape does not show a guy who's a hammer. His tape shows more of a guy who almost runs like a scat back, but he is 233 pounds. Um, but this is what they want to be. And, and you know, we're not going to get into the discussion of the value of a running back, but, uh, you know, if, if Saquon Barkley turns into what they hope he is and they are a run-first team and they can tower the football and have a really good play-action pass game and have a really good offense, then you know what? I think they'll be pretty happy about it. 
Another team we'll talk about is the Dallas Cowboys. And I, the, a few of these picks I really like. Some of these other picks, we'll see how they'll turn out. Uh, first round, they go Leighton Vander Esch, who you and I both agree is, is an excellent player. Uh, some questions with his medical history there, but uh, an excellent player, no question on tape. Connor Williams, the offensive lineman from Texas in the second round, believe he got announced as a guard, and we'll see uh, if he plugs into that left guard spot there. They leave Lyle Collins out of right tackle. Michael Gallup at wide receiver in the third round. Dorrance Armstrong, the pass rusher from Kansas. Kansas. Dalton Schultz, a tight end from Stanford. Mike White, developmental quarterback from Western Kentucky in the fifth round. Two sixth-round picks and linebacker Chris Covington from Indiana. Cedric Wilson, a wide receiver from Boise State who can take the top off a little bit. And then Bo Scarborough, the physical running back from Alabama in the seventh round. What were your initial takeaways looking at Dallas's overall uh, haul in the draft? Well, I like Vander Esch. You and I have discussed him, uh, you know, quite a bit. I really like the player. Um, who was their second rounder? The second rounder was Connor Williams. Oh, he'll play left guard. I'm, I'm almost certain that that's where they'll line him up. I think they see their team um, as I think they see 2016 as the template for how they want to play. I think they want to be a run first team. I think they want the offense to run through Ezekiel Elliott, and I think Prescott becomes a complementary piece, and that's what they want. Uh, and I, so I think that they'll keep Collins at right guard. Williams will be, excuse me, at right tackle, and they'll and Connor Williams will play left guard and and that's the way they'll they'll line up this year assuming Williams is good enough to start right away um I like Gallup I know you didn't like him quite as much I think he's an intriguing prospect although I think two later round prospects I found really really interesting one was the wide receiver from Boise Cedric Wilson um you know, we can debate where guys get drafted. I don't do a draft board per se, but I thought he was a better prospect than where he got drafted. Um, and I'm real anxious to see uh, for a team that needs wide receivers and pretty much will have an open competition at the position how he plays out. And who was the pick right before him? I like he was intriguing to me, too. That was uh, Chris Covington from Indiana. Yeah, I told you about him when I watched him. He he may not be ready to go as a as a rookie because he went to Indiana as a quarterback and then got switched to linebacker. And I know you watched him when I mentioned him to you. He is a big, athletic kid who two or three years down the road we could be talking about as a starting linebacker in this league. To me, he was a fascinating project. But but he's big. He can run. Uh, I'm really anxious to see what happens with that kid. Well, of the three divisional rivals for the Eagles between Washington, Dallas, and New York, I think the Redskins, in my opinion, had the best draft of those three teams. And you look at from top to bottom, Dayron Payne in the first round, I think he's going to be a problem. I mean, he's a very uh, powerful, stout nose tackle that will fit right in there next to Jonathan Allen in that 3-4 scheme. Darius Geis, uh, for all the things that are said about him on the, off the field, off on the field, very, very intri- intriguing player, a very powerful running back that should fit that scheme with Jay Gruden. Uh, Jaron Christian, the tackle from Louisville in the third round, very athletic, versatile player, can play both right and left tackle. Troy Apke in the fourth round is a player I like. I like Troy Apke on film, uh, a single high player that uh, can play in sub package. Then you go fifth round, you've got Tim Settle from Virginia Tech, fits in just fine there on the defensive line as well. Sean Dion Hamilton, the linebacker from Alabama in the sixth. Greg Stroman, the versatile corner from Virginia Tech in the seventh, along with Trey Quinn, the slot receiver from SMU, a player I really liked. He was one of my favorite slot receivers in this draft. Greg, from top to bottom, I don't know how you feel about it, but between those three teams, I feel like Washington may have gotten the best haul. 
Well, you and I love Payne. I mean, I think Payne, of the line of the Alabama defensive tackles that have come out over the last three, four years, I think he's overall the best one. And and uh, to me, he's probably a day one starter, and he'll and he'll be a very very good player. And then there's Darius Geis, which obviously tells you how the Redskins feel about Samaji Pirine. But Geis is a really talented runner. He's an urgent, decisive, physical, aggressive downhill runner. And I think they really want to run the ball. And I think with Alex Smith as your quarterback, it's important that you do run the ball. Uh, and we'll see. You know, I, Obviously, he had some issues off the field that were concerns for a lot of teams. And I don't know if that'll be a problem or not. But if you're just talking about his performance, his, his traits as a back, I think he has feature back traits. I think you can line up and give that kid the ball 15, 16, 17 times a game, and he will be your classic sustaining back. Well, Greg, as always, I appreciate the time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you in the coming months. The training camp uh, will be here before we know it. I know OTAs, the whole deal. It's coming up. It's coming up, Fran. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, and leave us a comment. We've had a ton of comments on Apple Podcasts recently, so I've got a lot of shout-outs to drop. Let's give some love to all. R.L. Horst, who commented saying how they never miss a week of the show. I appreciate that, R.L. Thank you for listening. D3 Keith commented saying how the podcast makes you a smarter fan. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate the listen every week from you, as always. And finally, on Apple Podcasts, let's shout out Big Jed Cakes, who left a five-star review and commented saying how much he loves the show. Quickly, also, I wanted to give a shout-out to SC Eagles fan, who went on our Libsyn page and commented how much they enjoyed the last episode with Ike Reese on evaluating linebackers. I agree with that. was a really fun episode to do. So thanks to all of you guys, R.L. Horse, D3 Keith, Big Jed Cakes, SC Eagles fan, and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you we would break down Florida State defensive end Josh Sweat two shows ago. We broke down Dallas Goddard, who was eventually the Eagles' first pick in the draft in the second round. So go back and check that out. That was from the Dan Orlovsky episode two episodes ago, episode 134. So if you missed that, go check that one out. But this week, I want to get to Josh Sweat. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Josh Sweat, 6046, so 6'4 and 3 quarters, 251 pounds. He's got very good size, big hands, long arms, and outstanding wingspan. He put on a good amount of weight since arriving on campus there in Tallahassee. He was just 236 pounds just two years ago in 2016. So in two years, he's packed on close to 20 pounds, and he really looks the part. Remember, this was a five-star recruit and the number one defensive end in the country coming out of high school in Chesapeake, Virginia. This guy actually, to me, graded out on film better than Marcus Davenport, who went in the top 15 and who the Saints traded a pair of first-round picks for. Davenport may have the higher upside, but I liked what I saw more from Sweat on film. You could tell I really liked what I saw from this kid. Now, he's a three-year starter at defensive end for defensive coordinator Charles Kelly, played in the multiple fronts, so lined up all over the place. Most of the time, 
He lined up as a four-eye or five-technique in their odd looks. He did slide inside the three-technique at times. He also did at times slide out to seven or nine-technique, so outside the defensive end. wasn't often, but sometimes he did line up out wide. But like I said, most of the time, he lined up right over the tackle and was, was essentially a four-point stance. So you're not going to get that huge rush upfield with how he was lined up and how he was used. But again, this kid's got an NFL frame that I think he can continue to add even more weight onto. A, a straight-line athlete who's at his best moving forward, has impressive initial quickness and easy change of direction ability. He can be explosive off the ball, and he gains a lot of ground with that first step. Flashes the ability to run the hoop on his way to the quarterback. As a pass rusher, his go-to move is a one- or two-arm chop move that had mixed results, You know, so that there, he would like to get a little bit better there. But he also flashed the ability to, wear, uh, to win with a swim move outside, a speed-to-power rush, a subpar hand swipe. He's got to get a little bit better with his hands, but you can see he's working in different moves there. He used a long-arm technique and inside swim move as well. So he's got a pretty deep toolbox. He's just got to continue to hone his craft there. Very effective on stunts because of his movement skills. He's at his best, though, as a run defender. I really liked him against the run. He uses his length to lock out and set a really hard edge. He's got some pop to him. He attacks blocks with good hand placement and pad level. Showed the ability to stack and shed offensive tackles in the run game, and he was dominant against tight ends on the perimeter in college. He exploded into ball carriers. He's a very physical, willing tackler. He did drop in short zone coverages as well, so he's got some versatility. Really impressive speed in the open field, and he was relentless when plays came to his side of the field. He flashed that motor to make plays outside the numbers. Now, from a negative standpoint, to me, he was either the first or the last Seminole off the ball. And I think, to, re- to me, that had more to do with the fact that he was what he was reading pre-snap, where he was asked to read the offensive lineman across from him instead of the ball. And there are some coaches that teach it that way, where you're watching the lineman instead of watching the ball and watching the, the, the snap from the center. There were flashes as well of strong flexibility. Didn't always see that. Not sure uh, if that was the injury. He had that knee injury a couple of years ago or not. But the, the, the bend, the flexibility wasn't always consistent on film. Obviously, he showed that at the combine that it's there it's good and he was one of the best testers out in Indianapolis and while he has that wide variety of pass rush moves like I mentioned he's not quite polished he's not right where he needs to be yet uh, with his hands certainly does not have you know a really strong go-to move that he can rely on to win in a must-have down a lot of the things you could have said about Derek Barnett last year coming out of Tennessee and we still top 15 picks so certainly something he can work on overall I saw this kid as a very strong run defender with a high motor, with an NFL frame. I actually wrote down Vinnie Curry as a comparison, meaning Curry coming out of Marshall when he was a high second-round pick. Lots of upside there. He's not a polished pass rusher yet as we sit here today, but I think he can really fill a role as a starter with upside. Best served as a backup early on. I like him most as a 4-3 DN with his hand in the ground. Obviously, that's exactly where he's going to be here in Philadelphia. So I'm excited about the addition of Josh Sweat, a really intriguing player with athletic upside and the body type, everything that you look for in this Jim Schwartz aggressive front defense. Great stuff this week from Greg Cosell. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one last time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. If you enjoy listening to this every week, the best way to support it is to go and rate it and leave a comment on one of those platforms. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.